Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. All right, welcome to Growing Up Fire, episode 12. I got Ronnie Lucan in the house here in Slave Lake today. How's it going, bud? Oh, things are great, buddy. Thanks for having me on the show. Pretty excited. Less than the first number of shows you put out here, so it's good. All right, on. How is the word you weren't going to come, but uh, here you are in real living color, Ronnie Lucan. I guess people know that it's afternoon, probably not 8 o'clock in the morning anyways, because you wouldn't be up at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> True story, yeah. <laughs> Neither would I. It's all good, bro. So yeah, we're just here to talk about firefighting. And so you're kind of in and out of lots of the, the big events, uh, Slave Lake, Fort McMurray, uh, spent a lot of time in Slave there. And so we'll just kind of catch up on some of that stuff. You know, you've got the uh, entrepreneurial spirit in you. So we'll talk a little bit about that as things go on. And But let's flash back to... You know, the first time you ever thought, hey, I should be a firefighter. I don't know, probably 2008, nine, somewhere in there, you know, you just kind of see the trucks flying around all the time. And it was, it's always kind of something that was a little bit exciting. My uncle was in the service as well, my uncle Dave. So you remember seeing him, you know, hanging off the back of a truck in the olden days before they, before everybody was in a cab. So, you know, that was one of the things you'd hear the odd story here and there about what he was, what he was dealing with and stuff. So yeah, I just kind of always looked up to the guys and as you get a little bit older, you know, I probably started a little bit late compared to some of the guys, but it was, uh, yeah, it was just a good way to give back to your community and, and contribute. You'd have a lot of that in your family though. Like, uh, you'd have a lot of wildland firefighters in your family running heavy equipment at forest fires and talking about it all the time. And yeah, for sure. Dad would come home, you know, he'd be out gone for six weeks at a time, come back covered in soot and smoke and <laughs> talking about how they got dropped on by a water bomber for the day or those days I was kind of their shower and their highlights. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, back in those days, it was a little different than I think it is today. So, so it wasn't that big of a stretch for you to get to that point where, Hey, I should be a firefighter then. No, not, not so much, I guess, you know, it wasn't something that, you know, you always want to chase the other dreams and your kid playing sports or hockey or whatever. Right. But you know, it's uh, you know, you go surround yourself with good people. And that was the big thing was the co- camaraderie as you get a little bit older and, and, and spending your time with those good people and meeting a lot of new people, which is really good. And it's rare to have somebody on that ha- doesn't have something to do with uh, sports, right? Team sports. For sure. Um, firefighting is just like a magnet for people from team sports, hockey. We we're just talking about the kids and hockey and all the stuff, how it goes. Firefighting is kind of the same way, right? You're just looking for that team atmosphere that, you know, let's all work together for a better purpose. And so we, we magnet those people to us, attract those people to us. Yeah. And for me, it was one of those things. It was one of the only things in my life where I actually like being told what to do. <laughs> you know, I'm a pretty independent guy. So, you know, you get on the, on the service and it's just a giant team and, you know, like everyone's there to guide and help each other and got each other's back. And, you know, I'm sure some of the stories we'll get into here will be, uh, you know, you, you put your life in other people's hands and you got to trust, you got to trust yeah. that, which well, is uh, the for, real challenge. For you and I, maybe more than some others out there <laughs> for sure that uh, we'll definitely talk about that. So flashback to, uh, you know, your first couple times coming to practice in the Slave Lake Fire Department. What was that like for you? Uh, well, it was good. You know, some of the guys that were around at the time, you know, I remember Ken Boland, a few of those guys, local, local kind of legends, <laughs> well, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, uh, you know, my original class, I remember, uh, Steve was there and, uh, I think Kyle Paulson was in the original group as well wow, when cool. I had started. He's, a, he's an officer now. Eh? Yeah, yeah, it so. is. So it, it's cool to see the guys that have been able to carry on and still, still contribute, you know, and the fellas are still, you can still see them around town and stuff, but it was, uh, Seeing the reaction, I guess, to, you know, a guy like Ken, you know, that was before I think things really transitioned, but it was great. You know, it was, uh, it was really, really good. And there's just so much to learn. Like I always, people would ask how it was. And I said, it's kind of like trying to drink, 
trying to drink water through a highball. Like, <laughs> you know, there's a lot. So much, yeah. There's a lot to take in, but it's also, you know, it was really, really good. It's funny. I, I always think of that, you know, like your first couple of years are like, you don't know anything. And then all of a sudden it's like two years later and you're a firefighter and you actually kind of know how this works and you're teaching other people and bringing them along. And it, it's, uh, I'd like to slow it down, you know, that first year, two years of training and really see what's in there. But uh, in a place like this, you can't do that. So you just give her. I was talking earlier and I, I want to bring that up and keep kind of talking about that. You're talking about the young guys, my son, Ryan, for one, Logan down at the fire hall. And, uh, you know, you're kind of still that mentor, eh? That Uncle Ronnie, they call you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so you still, you know, stay connected to the fire service and stay connected to these young guys. Yeah, we try to, you know, you try to give back where you can or when you can. My life's pretty chaotic and busy, but it's, uh, you know, wherever you can contribute or you can help those guys out or, you know, whether in my life it's selling them a house or, you know, giving them advice on stuff in life, you know, and it's... Uh, you know, there was other guys there doing that for me as well, you know, so there's the Terry Tonsies and, you know, Brian Carlton's there as a mentor yourself, you know, you know Todd Whitby was there, you know, so you just, it's just a brotherhood, right? Like everybody just kind of stays connected over the years and you give back to each other and it's uh to be able to pass that on, I guess, you know, is, is a huge honor as well. And that's, you know, hopefully they do it for the next young guys that are coming along as well. So it's funny because over the years, uh, you know, as you came and went through these different events and the fire department and your life got busy and kids and I don't know how many companies you own now, lots, and you're doing all this different work and uh, into all these different things. You were always that guy for me, that that entrepreneurial spirit guy, you know, sending me, hey, did you see this on Facebook? Uh, there, there's a new drone for firefighting. There's a, a thing with tracks. Uh, look at this fire truck. And hey, if I bought this, could I work this for wildland fire? Or, you know, you're just always that guy, that that energy, that enthusiasm. And so I could see it with your real estate and your companies. But you always had that little bit of flavor left for fire at the back. And, and I don't know if we can blame that on the Slave Lake fire or the beast in Fort Mac or, or, or what, but uh, it's kind of cool how you're always that guy for me. Yeah. Well, I think having a little bit of ADD probably helps out because everyone tells you, you got to focus on one thing and, and you don't. <laughs> and um, you know, it was just one of those things, you know, you got to give it 110%. So you got to make and find that time, you know? So until 2012, when my, when my son was born and, and had some, some health issues and uh, a person had to step away cause he couldn't give that time. But you know, it's, you guys pulled me out of the reserves a few times, which I appreciated <laughs> and begged for, right? So it's, uh, We're still doing that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's, you know, a person always wants to be there and, you know, a little bit of a different mindset maybe compared to the conventional stuff, but yeah. Well, and I think, I think that uh, the things that you've gone into in life are things that keep bringing you back to us. Right. And so, you know, I can remember you had your pager and we'll show up to the fire hall at three o'clock at night. We're all rubbing the sleep out of our eyes, just a mess dressed in our wives' slippers. And, and you're parked out front in a loader <laughs> jumping on the fire truck because you're still working. Right. Yeah. And that's the life, right? Like you just, you, you just got to give it. So if you're putting in that time, you work some weird hours or whatever, but yeah, you know, you're out screening dirt one night at, you know, two o'clock in the morning because it's not plus 35 outside and it's, uh, yeah, the pager goes off. So you do your best, but the loader only goes 26 kilometers an hour and you show up and you don't quite make the call, but it's good for a laugh, I guess. And, and uh, well, if you, hey, you and Larry Battenfelder be sitting there three o'clock in the morning and the rest of us are sleeping it, sleeping it off and you guys are just out there crushing it. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One of the few times I met him, I think we put in a central vac at about two 30 in the morning. And <laughs> so it kind of worked out good for both of us. It was in our spare time. So. Yeah. Although to be fair, I don't think I ever saw you at an eight o'clock call an eight o'clock in the morning call. Oh, probably rarely. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Work all night and then get 
up by noon and get going again. Eh? Yeah, exactly. Reset. Uh, so awesome, man. It's uh, those kinds of things. And then, I mean, used your expertise and we'll talk about this for Slave Lake and Fort Mac and, and uh, the training center too. your expertise in this equipment. Right. And so uh, I, even to this day, I've got friends that say, oh yeah, you know, you're, I saw you were working with Ronnie, you know, you're running a mini excavator or whatever. And I, I always wonder how Ronnie knew how to do that. And, and I always laugh because I always think of you and, and think, well, Ronnie would just tell you, you jumped in and learned how to do it. <laughs> yeah, you just got to figure it out. <laughs> And I think that's life. And I think that's why, you know, in these big events, um, as horrific as they are and, and as terrible as they get, you are always good at that because you're just, we're putting these situations that no one had been in before. And your whole motto is just jump in and figure it out, right? Yeah, you just got to problem solve the event. And it's sometimes you think maybe it's common sense, but it's very, very unconventional. And that's one thing we've seen during these big events as well. I think more than anything was that, uh, 35 years of training doesn't get you ready for what we had to deal with. That's right. Right. They're very unconventional. And I think sometimes that can be a benefit to have to deal with that stuff in your day-to-day life. You just have to figure it out if you want to persevere. So, so Slave Lake Fire, let's jump right in there. The The night before the big fire, Mitsu, right? Everyone's cruising around. Got any memories from that? Well, I was one of the ones that actually went home that night. There was a, I think there was five of us or four of us that went so, uh, you know, the, the Saturday, I guess, of the fire was, I was working on one of my rental properties, which, uh, we'll talk about later here, <laughs> but, uh, so I was working on it, went and bought some new doors and I'm scraping it down and, you know, the wind's howling at probably 80, 90 K an hour. And just remember seeing a big plume of smoke. And, uh, so anyways, I remember we went and uh, sprinklered up in the Southwest or in the Gloryland area. And then that evening we, uh, I think that's when the fire started east of town actually. And then, uh, fast forward to about, I think it was about one in the morning I had, uh, went back, went back home, went and took my ladder down from earlier that day, secured my interior doors for that property <laughs> and, and uh, to make sure nothing happened to him and the wind didn't take him away. And then, uh, yeah, from there we went to, uh, yeah, I think I went and slept for a couple hours and I remember, I remember it was a really eerie feeling because, uh, even our dogs wouldn't come in the house that night. So it is almost like they knew something was coming or whatever. So they wouldn't come in the house. Like they just didn't want to be trapped. So I remember Sarah and I thinking, so, uh, she, uh, she actually packed the vehicle, uh, that night. So we had everything basically ready to go. You know, nice. F- Thinking ahead. Yeah. It kind of reminded us of the flood in 88, sure. you know? So my mom's given us a bit of advice from, she's living in Calgary and she's given a bit of advice, fill the tubs with water, make sure you got that stuff in case it goes down. And, you know, so we just kind of prepped everything, turned the sprinklers on the yard. You know, people probably thought we were a little bit weird <laughs> at two in the morning, setting up sprinklers <laughs> at our own house, but you know, we just, you know, it was just kind of survival mode, I guess, from living up in the North all these years. So. True story, you know, and then, and then the Saturday. So then in the morning we all kind of met and we had some Tim Hortons breakfast sandwiches and kind yeah. of talked about the day. And, and, uh, I, I don't think that day, the day the fire hit, I don't think I saw you again until we're on 12th street. That's correct. Yeah. We were, <laughs> yeah, we were out in Canyon. I think it was with, who was I with? Ron Potts, Jared Cedar. We were out setting up some sprinklers out there and then, uh, stuff was just getting worse and worse. You know, your phone's getting lit up. So you're, you're trying to check that back and forth to the truck. And, uh, yeah, so we bolted back to town and, uh, at which point we come into town and I remember we were pulling in, it was right on main street and, uh, we're right in front of the college and, uh, there's a lineup of traffic and we're sitting in there and I remember, I'm pretty sure it was Jared driving. He's like, Oh geez, we're never going to get to the Southeast. And I'm like, we're in a fire truck. Like, let's cut across this lawn. <laughs> so we did, we cut across the lawn there at the college, which was really 
seemed out of the ordinary, obviously. Eh? And uh, we bolted behind the Northwest Inn, took a oh, shortcut. Oh, yeah, nice, yeah. And uh, we were able to get ourselves into uh, the Southeast, which is what brought us to 12th Street. And uh, I think we came down 11th there, actually. And, you know, it was looking pretty grim. And uh, we went from just, you know, sunshine and beautiful day to uh, just this black plume of smoke. And that was right before it entered town, I believe. But, and it's different how it, you know, everyone's looking at it from a different perspective is which I, why I love having you guys on here and talk about it. Because for me, you know, I'd come from the tourist booth and fought my way down. And so the first truck that I get to that I thought, oh, these guys could use a hand. So there's you, Carl Hill and Joel Oje. Correct. The, yeah. three, the three amigos are on this thing. And so I thought, well, I'll jump in here. And then I think I had some tank truck guys sitting in my truck with me too. And he was kind of <laughs> hanging around. And, and uh, so we're fighting fire. I remember Carl Hill went in behind that one house and you and I are like he's dead man he's dead like let's well, pull the hose <laughs> well and we kept and that, that's kind of i was i was with carl for that first little bit and i remember just kind of there was no communication because everything was so loud and uh, i just remember you'd give it a tug to make sure there was something there and uh you know if there was resistance you knew he was good and if there wasn't well then we're probably gonna have to we're gonna have to go drag him out of there and uh but but what he did was great, you know, is he saved a couple houses, a couple duplexes that some families could come back to. So it was, uh, so all time, everyone that ever listens to this will know that they've heard me speak when I'm talking about the slave lake fire. One of the stories that I have to tell is when I'm standing on the corner of 12th street, there, looking down and uh, halfway down the street, a house is just starting to light up. Uh, I think it was 12th and 10th is 10th Ave, yeah. 10th Ave. And, uh, this house is lighting up and you walk over to me, you'd been over with Carl and then on the truck and you walk over to me and I was calling in a bunch of guys from Widewater saying another house is lighting up and you bend down and you're looking down the road and finally you're like, oh, don't worry about that place. That's my rental place. Those guys moved out this morning. And then you just walked away and I'm standing there mouth wide open and the Widewater guys are calling me on the radio like, do you want us to come there or not? And you just kind of walked away. It's all good, right? So what's that side of the story from you? Well, it was... It's just heat of the moment again, right? So I, I think the comment was, don't worry, it's insured. But uh, <laughs> to add to it that, that I hadn't heard through the stories was, um, I let you know that there was a hydrant on my lawn. So, you know, I remembered that and Widewater did tie in and they saved two houses yeah. uh, right to, uh, I guess it would have been to the west of that house. So it was just, you know, it was just, I guess, heat of the moment, you know, I'm standing there with uh, Kyle a couple minutes before that and, you know, his house is fully engulfed. Uh, his daughter's house is fully engulfed. Who might have be sad about a rental property? You know, fortunately, my tenants had moved out that morning. And um, I think they lost a load of clothes in the dryer or something. But, uh, you know, there's Kyle losing his, his primary residence and his kids. And uh, and he's still soldiering on. So, you know, for me to lose a place, it's not your favorite part. And, and, and the insurance aftermath wasn't great to deal with. But at the heat of the moment, it's it's, it's not about me. It's about what everybody else needs. So It's so weird to, to go through that. So I didn't lose anything in the fire. But I, you know, uh, those are great points, right? Thinking about those guys that lost their primary residences and and even people that lost anything. It's so hard to to deal with and think about and and move on. And I think that's what made Slave Lake so different, right? I mean, flash forward to Fort McMurray, it's not your town. You don't know whose house it is. You don't know the people. I wouldn't say it makes it a lot easier, but somewhat easier that, you know, when we're standing on 10th and 12th, there isn't a house that we haven't been in at that corner right sure and i remember i stopped and i looked around and i counted 35 houses on fire and i don't know why i did that but i did and i thought wow that was the first time that i kind of really realized that we were losing we were getting our asses kicked not not losing a little bit but we were getting hammered and uh 
I didn't, it was kind of, I would say also one of the first times in my life since I was about five years old that I didn't have the answer. I didn't know what to do. I, I don't think any of us did though, you know, and it's a, uh, for my personal experience with it, it was, uh, it was weird cause I'm a, I'm a realtor in Slave Lake. So, you know, I've sold many of those houses. You remember why they bought that place or that, you know, the, those bedrooms were specific for their kids or that garage was going to protect that car. And, uh, so yeah, you know, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of people when you grow up in this community and, uh, those are the moments and you know what, in the moment you don't think about it, but afterwards when you drive by and everything isn't there anymore is when I think it kind of starts to hit you, but you're in that adrenaline rush as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. And, and, and I remember when we were standing there on the corner of 10th and 12th and I remember, I think the moments that I remember anyways, where, uh, where things really changed a lot of it was hearing Parkdale is gone, which, you know, to put it in perspective for anybody listening was like, what, four blocks over from us. And I, I kind of remember that was kind of a, a quiet moment and everything got regrouped or, or close to in that moment. Anyways. I don't think we even knew that Parkdale was on fire at that no. point yet. So. No, it had launched over us basically. And, you know, we thought we were winning, you know, we were protecting some houses and, uh, you know, I remember we were trying to guide in a ladder truck under street lamps to be careful that you don't hit anything. And, you know, there's Paul McGrath dangling off the end and, you know, people are wanting to borrow a cell phone and because they got to touch base with their families. I do remember those points there as well. Yeah, we talked about that, uh, connecting with families and, and uh, the people back at the fire hall. And so, you know, it's not that fun to do this, but flashback to 12th Street, you know, and uh, the propane tanks going off and the tires popping and, the, you know, Carl Hill coughing his guts out in the back. And, and it was emotionally charged, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I always talk about the time that that Sunfire come flying down the street and missed our hose by driving up through everyone's front yard and back down. And, mm-hmm. and the whole time there wasn't even brake lights or anything. They just kept going and, and uh, Janelle pulling up in the Suburban with the kids and, mm-hmm. you know, like, where do we go? Where do we go? I say, I don't know. Like everything around us is on fire. So not here, right? Try the spillway, you know? So this friend you grew up your whole life and it was emotionally charged. And so that kind of brings me back to that. And I was just talking to you before and he didn't really remember this that much, but it was, uh, I walk up to the fire truck and you and Joel are are just getting into it about something. I think probably our lack of water and what we're doing here. But, and uh, so I kind of like, Hey guys, all we got's each other, you know? And it was kind of one of those, I love you, man. I love you, man. I love you, man. Three guys, big bro hug in the middle of the street. And uh, it was like a TSN turning point for me that it was like, you know, okay, stop just being a firefighter on this truck and take a step back and start being the fire chief again, right? Yeah. It's, you got a big team of people we got to worry about. And Well, which would have been a challenge though, right? Because there was so much going on and it's, uh, everything is so emotionally charged and you don't even realize it. Like you, you just, you don't know. And it's, uh, it's kind of like going out for warm up. you know, you're, you're, you're pumped up for your big playoff game and ACDC's blaring in the back, right? And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, there, there's a lot of emotion happening, right? Because you are seeing the stuff and, and, and you can see the look on everybody's faces and it's uh but everybody's there to battle for each other. And that was the amazing part about the team that we had at that time was that there was no quit, you know, and everybody, all, yeah. every, everybody's there to fight and uh, we we're all trying to fight for the best thing with, with what we had, which was. We got to go to so many crazy places. Do you remember later when we took Pumper 3 and went down to the river intake? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so and, you want to tell that a, little, that a little bit about that story? Well, it's just, you know, you're going down there and everything was engulfed, you know, kind of cruising down the side of the river bank there, you know, and, and the stuff that's going through your mind, you know, like there's a cemetery there. You know, so the, the weird things that pop into your mind, like, oh my God, like, how are they going to do that? Or how are we going to protect this? And, 
you know, and then eventually it's, you know, the, it just burnt out at the lake basically, you know, but we saved a water station that didn't do us any good then, but it did when everybody came later. back, yeah, that's right. you know, and it's uh, even watching these houses burn, it's defeating because, you know, you get everything. I, I remember there was one on 12th street back to there and, and everything's burnt out and, uh, but the gas line's like a flare stack. So you can pour all the water in the world when you had it onto it, but there's still just a flare stack there. And then as you're watching all the melted water lines, they're just pouring water in, into the basement, but that's not helping us because we're losing pressure, you know? So oh, yeah. By 5 o'clock at 5.30, I, I knew that water was going to be, right? Your reservoir can only do so much. And so you think of a water line the size of your thumb. Now think of 100. Now think of 1,000. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> so, and then some of those big commercial places, they got a two-inch water line in it. You know, so I knew we were looking at a manhole cover size mm-hmm. of water just free-flowing out into the community. You're not going to have water for long, which which sucks, but... Yeah, from there, I remember from the river, we went to, I believe it was the hospital is where we went, and then there was enough resources there. Because I remember that radio call when we were out at the river, I believe it was you and I and Carl, and and uh, we were in that old, I, I don't even, can't remember what unit was. I think we ended up sending that truck to Mexico right <laughs> after. So we beat the crap out of that thing for about 48 hours. Yeah, and I, I think, three, yeah. Yeah, so, but it was a great truck, you know, again, back to the beginning of the story, it's it's open cab on the back. We're not flying off the back, but we're still between the cab and the pump and so, but it served us well. And then I remember from there, we actually went to uh second Ave Northeast. So, which is uh, where I had lived. And, uh, and I remember that being a big point too. And they said, everybody was saying like, this is, this is it. Like, we're not going to let this get past here. We're not losing another section of town. And then we put up a good fight there. And that's, uh, you know, I remember stepping on a high vol hose though. And uh, it was, you could step on it and yeah. it was flat on the ground. And, um, so I remember I was with Mark Feetsman. and he was still fairly new at the time. <laughs> Two weeks. Yeah. So we're, I'm thinking, okay, well the gas lines just beat the crap out of us on 12. So I'm like, geez, we need crescent wrenches. I'm like, Hey, we can go in my garage. So we go <laughs> in my garage, we grab these and, uh, my backyard is soaked because earlier in the day I had told, uh, Sarah, my wife to, uh, go and tell all the neighbors to water their houses. And, uh, so everybody on our block did except for two. And, and unfortunately those were, were two of the, two of the homes that didn't make it. But, um, so yeah, we went and turned on, turned off, uh, everybody's gas lines for about a two block radius and just ran like chickens with our heads cut off. And, uh, that's and the Smith fire department actually set up and those guys, those guys basically saved a two block radius. And oh the, yeah. I think that's uh terrace was in there helping those guys. Eventually he was. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, but so I, I often tell that story too. I mean, you think nine or 10 of you volunteer firefighters in that little neck of the woods there and, uh, the massive firefight that happened there, we lost those two big houses and, and, uh, there's lots of trees and stuff around there. And, and if the you Lake guys were stuck there, right? Well, and the Lakeland apartments were on fire and I remember it was as stuff was blowing up, whatever it was in there. There was a, there was two by fours flying over, like you see him coming through the air. And, uh, and I remember, I think it was, um, I think it was Jimmy Dagenhart decided he was going to be a tank truck driver and he grabbed a Spillix truck. He started going. He kept, he, he, he kept that truck full. Yeah. He kept Smith fighting that whole night. They hid behind a, they hid behind a hedge and, uh, they launched and they, uh, they, they saved that, that second of, and I think it's third street or something. But, uh, yeah, Jimmy was just hauling, pump, I hauling telling that loads. story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Never so, ran a tank truck before, but guess yeah, what? He yeah. learned. Eh? Yeah, he did great. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but everything around it was engulfed. I think at that point, the town center was already, 
was already done. You know, SL Ford was going up in uh, Century 21, where I worked at the time. And Yeah, I think by then I was back at the fire hall trying to run a whiteboard and kind of figure out where everyone was and what's going on and all the resources that were coming in. And, and uh, it just, every report on the radio was just more dire than the next report. Eh? Everybody's in a sure. fight of their life and everyone wants more resources and there's none to give. And but uh, yeah, the Northeast, definitely, that was an epic firefight by a few volunteer firefighters. And, you know, yeah, there was Patrick and uh, who else was on there? Fred was on their crew. Yeah, Maxine and, uh, would have been in Maxine town. Maxine was in there. And, yeah. and that hedge today took nine years, 10 years, but it's growing in. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you it saved that. Eh? <laughs> yeah, you bet. So it's, uh, but it was great to see, right? Like it was, uh, you know, everybody battled really, really hard. So super crazy there, you know, and then it just kept going. We all worked day and night for, for days on end out in Widewater Canyon, more in Slave Lake. The, uh, I remember that Tuesday was kind of the last fire that flared up over in the part of town. Would that be the southeast? southeast yeah. yeah. There was a house there that caught on fire. And I swung around in my pickup truck and I think there was like eight fire trucks and about 30 guys from <laughs> yeah. 10 different fire departments, like, you know, all kinds of different gear and helmets. And I thought... Yeah, finally, you know, it's, it's Tuesday afternoon, but we got this one. <laughs> yeah, I think there was even some media there for that one, actually. So they were, everybody just kind of attacked that house. And then I think it only partially burnt that one. Yeah, they rebuilt that one. It's still yeah. there to this day, you bet. I, I often think of that when I drive by and I thought, you know, like that was the first time in four days that I thought we might actually win this thing and put yeah. this thing down, right? So kind of a cool place to be. Well, and seeing the resources roll in too was a, was a huge relief right remember like you oh, know, night, you know yeah. we're, we're running 12 inch hose from the lake with giant pumps in the parking lots <laughs> to fill 400 barrel tanks or or flock yeah. tanks right and yeah it's, how uh, can we unload these brand new pumpers that have never pumped before from calgary off these trucks and absolutely it was uh yeah those were the times that uh in a disaster that you look back to and you think man the things that you can overcome and do right like mm -hmm. it's like we'd do a big plan for water and we'd send one guy away to get permission while the rest of us were building it you know we'd send out the crews and you'd have big city firefighters next to 15 year old kids and and uh, everything in between right so when well, eventually we just became tour guides to those guys in a sense right we're all exhausted feet are beat up because we're wearing those old garbage boots that we had those old rubber boots you know people are losing toenails and and I remember, but they were all really, really respectful as well. And I remember going out to Widewater Canyon Creek in the following days, putting out hot spots. And it was, um, you know, you talk about your your regular life and what's going on. And, you know, so you're able to be a bit of a tour guide because I'm a realtor. So at the time, so then I'm able to kind of guide these guys and know these back roads and where they could go and couldn't go. And then, you know, where you talk about the different things or the construction background, don't take this road. We're going to sink this truck. It's, it's too heavy here, yeah. you know, and it's, uh, but then you got trees falling down and then it gets a whole, you know, and those guys are wide eyed because those guys are structure protection guys. And from the big cities, right? Yeah. We're out there, uh, we're out there putting out tree fires kind of thing. So. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. I, I can remember one day sitting at the fire hall there and there was a bunch of guys there and I think they were from Edmonton and they were all pouty and sad and everybody's kind of sad lip there and i say hey, what's wrong with you guys eh? and so oh, well you know it's pretty boring there's nothing to do and so i said uh well i'll tell you what you guys come into my office and i'll show you a bunch of stuff this is probably in the second wave of people that had come from edmonton and i was showing them videos and pictures on my computer of what it was like the night of and uh, and i was like so you got to remember like that's what it was and for most of the people here they haven't really slept since that 
this mm-hmm. picture, right? And uh, so you're in someone else's town. You know, you came for the action. I get that. Firefighters are action adrenaline junkies, right? But, you know, to sit here and be quiet, that means that our town's probably going to make it. That means that these firefighters might get a night's sleep or an hour's sleep. or mm-hmm. And they all kind of just slunk out of my office and said, yeah, okay. And so I use that example. I don't talk about that exact example, but I use that now when we go on deployments all over Western Canada. I said, you know what, if we're bored, that's great. That means no one's house is burning down. That means nobody's in danger of being killed. That means, right? So boredom is okay on these huge it's deployment the, It's things. good in these industries. <laughs> one, one thing I remember too is... Uh, from from those crazy nights as we started getting the support was uh, obviously food was a big shortage, you know, so so unconventional. And I remember they had set up the camp beside the fire hall and, you know, how are we going to unload these trucks, right? So they, they got a camp crew there and I remember thinking, geez, okay, how's this going to go here? And didn't have a loader. We didn't have anything. And, you know, I, think, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Ken maybe there, but he says, uh, hey, just let me make a call here. And all of a sudden this, you know, 944 loader shows up and it's got forks on it. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. And he's like, you can run that, eh? And I'm like, I don't know, let's figure it out. But we didn't have the manpower. And I'm like, wait a minute. So we, you know, run across the parking lot, go next door. All of a sudden we got 75 firefighters there and we unloaded two van trailers in about 25 minutes. And I remember the look on those ladies' faces from the kitchen. Originally there was like four or five and all of a sudden they got this army. So again, to see that teamwork was amazing, right? So guys were just like itching to get, out to do something. Yeah. Kent Bolin, eh? The, the clinger from MASH of the Slave Lake Fire. Oh, right, he goes through his Rolodex of 78,000 contacts there. And, you know, yeah, but it was... Straight out of his brain into his phone, eh? Yeah, like, it was amazing, know. right? And uh, I remember I, telling him on Tuesday, man, you know what I'd love more than anything? A shower. <laughs> and Wednesday at noon, there was a shower there, all set up at the fire hall, big camp shack, ready to go. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's ingenuity, right? It's, Absolutely. It's good, good stuff. So there's a million things we could talk about this all day, but let's fast For forward sure. uh, 2016, get called up. Ryan, Patrick, and I head up to Fort McMurray and uh, we're calling back all day, right? Talking to the deputy Alex there and we're going through all the things and he's like, okay. And so finally I said, hey, this is getting bad. It's going to blow up. Find some guys. Well, I don't know who to call, right? I said, well, hit, hit your reserve list, right? Call a bunch of the guys from the reserve list. And obviously you were on that list. And and so what was it like? You're heading up to Fort Mac, just getting reports from us. Well, a little bit before it actually was the Sunday when the fire was, uh, it would have been south west of Fort McMurray. And I remember I texted you and Ryan both. And I said, can I come? <laughs> and it was about 1030 at night. And you and I texted for a little bit. And I think Ryan and I ended up texting until about 2.30 in the morning, which is, you know. I was my, probably sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was kind of my prime time. Ryan was up and I was like, can I come? And you guys are like, oh, well, you know, we'll see how it goes, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know, man, this don't look good. This is looking way too familiar. That's kind of where it started. And then you and I kept in touch. And then when you guys were up there, I remember texting you and uh, saying, hey, where's things at or how's it going? And you sent me a pic, I think. It's when you guys, when everything first started hitting Beacon the Beacon Hill Drive, yeah. Yeah, so then, uh, so anyways, then I got a text from Alex there and he said, yeah, come on down, you know, you're going to head out, you guys are going to leave at four. So I get down to the fire hall and I still have a picture of that. I took a picture of the truck and... Uh, all the jerry cans strapped well that started out of basket yeah we but uh, it was all our gear because we were just in a regular cab uh, pumper yeah so uh, bruce and i got all our stuff strapped on the back make sure we're not going to lose it and uh and it's interesting packing for that so i made sure i didn't tell my wife because i knew she'd probably be a little bit upset so (laughs) i flew home real quick and she said what are you doing i said i'm just we're just heading up so i made sure i had i brought like four cartons of smokes and a bunch of diet pop (laughs) 
change of underwear and socks and the rest you knew was you were going to be safe because those were going to be the shortages. So, but yeah, so when you get to ride with your grade nine social teacher to Fort McMurray for <laughs> chaos, it's uh, I remember you texted on the drive and you said, Hey, how's it going? I'm like, geez, like I'm with my, I'm with, I'm with like the local legend Bruce here, right? So <laughs> yeah. I'm with my grade nine social teacher. Iconic firefighter yeah, from the Whitewater. <laughs> yeah, by Grassland. I, I think we had probably solved half the world's problems there, had some good chats, but I do remember we stopped in Athabasca and um, we got fuel and then uh, there was always, I remember in Slave, there was a huge fuel shortage. So I'm like, hey, we should grab some jerry cans. And so that's, you know, Bruce and I filled up these jerry cans, ratchet strap across the front bumper of the truck. And then uh, we got to Wandering River and the highway, you know, we're driving on the shoulder of the highway heading north and there's there's four or five lanes heading south. And we got to Wandering River and we thought we better fuel up again. And there's a huge lineup. And I remember just being amazed. We pulled in there and it was like, it was like the parting of the seas. Like everybody got out of the way. We filled up the truck. And then that was the next part. It's like, you got a fuel card. No, you got a fuel card. <laughs> Is that how we pay for that? So I, you know, I was like, well, I got, you know, I got a card here. So I went in to pay for the gas and they're like, Slave Lake, uh, there was two other trucks that filled up earlier today. Can you pay for theirs too? So uh, I still never got to submit that receipt because it was in my pocket and got soaked, but it's all good. So, and then, yeah, and then we hit the road to Fort Mac and we met up with you guys that night in that one trailer park. I can't remember what neighborhood it was or. Woodland Estates. Yeah. yeah. You betcha. As a. Uh, yeah, talking with Bruce not that long ago about this, and, and it was you and him and myself. I think Lee Green was up there. Yep. Can't even remember Patrick, probably. That's, Ryan. Few, that's when we were introduced to the Orf trucks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> eh? Yeah. Yeah. It kept uh, fighting over a hydrant day eh, to see who could get the Arf truck water. And, yeah. and then we saw what he could do, and we're like, oh, yeah, okay, you guys win. You could have all the water you want. Yeah, he could just stab the attic with yeah. his piercing nozzle there and uh, <laughs> blow the roof off a house real quick, and then we could hammer it. It was uh, crazy times, man, crazy times. And Fort McMurray, again, it was just so – it was the same, but different, right? Mm-hmm. Like it started the same and blew into town the same. And, but now it's a city of 90,000 people. And I think that uh, you and I and Bruce and all those guys were up there that night. Lots of talks about how could this be happening again, right? How could mm-hmm. we literally be sitting here going through this again? And so that's some of the sad parts that it happened again and again and again, right? 2003 Kelowna. Colorado Springs could tell you a few stories. Absolutely. You know, Slave Lake, Fort Mac. Uh, did a better job up in high level and saved a lot more. But it's all about being prepared and, and uh, being in the fight, right? And having a plan, right? For sure. I mean, I don't think it would be a podcast if we didn't talk a little bit about the heavy equipment, right? So both mm-hmm. times you were in the neighborhood there. Yeah, <laughs> and, for sure. Uh, we'll... Uh, well, beep out all the who's in charge of what, but <laughs> definitely uh, to see that, right? To, to see equipment ripping down houses into, but uh, it's been said before, and we'll talk about it again, is that, you know, eventually a house just becomes another type of tree. And so it's, uh, you, when you apply those same tactics, you, you got to do the same thing, right? Well, and it becomes fuel reduction. You know, I think that was the night, uh, I think you guys came back to slave. And then, uh, so that night I was with, uh, DC Alex and, uh, who was there? Well, Bruce, obviously. Right. And then, uh, whoever else was there, Lee and the fellas. And, uh, so we tried a couple different strategies. I remember we were driving down using, um, Timberwolf. I don't remember what unit number it is either, but driving back and forth and, uh, just soaking these houses. And, uh, but the ground up there was very similar to Slave Lake. And, and that's where things I think helped us out a little bit as well. But, uh, the truck sunk because the frost was coming out of the ground and, uh, the truck's high centered. And, uh, you know, you go back to 12th street, 13th street, those houses start to finish and Slave Lake were burning in six to eight minutes. And, uh, so I remember that that was going on. So 
uh, one of us ran down the road and um, got a, a big water truck and and got uh, got the timber wolf off the sidewalk because it was bottomed out. You know, the rear end, the front end, everything's bottomed out. Four wheel drive truck. Yeah, not and, what you're expecting to happen. Yeah, and it was chaos, and uh, we were just. I don't know, to put it nicely, we were getting a shit kicked out of us. And there was a lot of resources, you know, you're looking around and there's millions and millions and millions of dollars of ladder trucks and pumper trucks and, and water wasn't effective. And I remember uh, the IC, I don't remember the guy's name to this day, but I do remember and we were on the street and they, uh, they eventually, uh, they brought in a dozer and, uh, but the, the dozer is it's trying to, to work to push down a house, you know, th- these houses were going to go anyways. And I don't know if this is what the public understands, but it's a, it's a fuel reduction. Like you say, right? Every one of them's like a tree. These houses are going to be gone in six to eight minutes anyways, but they're starting two doors down from these houses. And this is where our experience, I think helped from before was, you know, I remember talking to the fella and saying like this, like we got to start back a block. Like we got to be back a block or two here. Like we, you know, we're looking at you know, less than an hour here and we're going to lose this whole block. And, uh, but it was very different in their world. So, you know, a few key points from that night that, that really stick out, you know, is, um, you know, the team sticking together, right? So, uh, we started, you started it a couple days before dropping the pin on the map, right? So just a simple little thing, Google maps, drop the pin. You always, everybody knows where everybody is. Not lost anymore. <laughs> That's right. So, but, uh, I remember they, they were trying to use a, a dozer to push down houses and, uh, it, it didn't work. And it was, uh, the reason it didn't is you got a foundation, you got a really soft lawn. And, uh, as soon as that, that dozer, the tracks would hit the foundation, it starts lifting it up. He's got a ripper on the back. Remember two days before these guys are out building a lease for up, up in the oil sand. So never this, thought they'd be where they were that day. Yeah. So, but, uh, so I remember, uh, the idea that we came up with that night was, uh, we kind of sacrificed some vehicles and they became rig mats. And, uh, so what you do is you, you'd lay down a couple vehicles and, uh, You'd take a, an F-350 and that became your, what you would use to shear off the house at the foundation to collapse them. You know, it, the whole time, you know, we're begging, like, you got to get us some big excavators here. So to eventually, to eventually, which we did. And uh, I think, you know, it was a pretty hectic night and it's very, very unconventional and the emotions that are going through your mind, like this is people's everything, right? And it's uh, the stuff that sticks out in your head later on, right? You, you think about what you've seen or what was going on. and But but it's going. I mean, the point there is it's going one way or the other. It is. Know? And even the ones you knocked down end up catching on fire and burning in a pile, right? They did. Everything was gone in, in less than an hour or two. So when we did step back, but, you know, I don't, you remember you and I looked at the aerials and other guys, you can literally see a perfectly straight line where that fire stopped. And it's uh, it's pretty amazing when you look back, and um, it's just a cat guard for forest fires, except it was basically. in town, right? Exactly. And, and and I think it's important we talk about it because there'll be other people that will be in this, right? As the world dries and it gets yeah. worse and worse, and the fires. I mean, you watch the stuff in Australia. You watch, you know, it's getting worse and worse all the time. Other firefighters got to hear this, right? I for mean, sure. Back to Slave Lake, we would have never even thought of using heavy equipment in town if it wasn't for Lou Wild from Kelowna putting it in a magazine article and talking about it so that you could wrap your head around it. Right. So, I mean, this is just us paying it forward to the next poor buggers that got to make these decisions and and do this work. Right. Well, and I think the key point was that the decisions have to be made and uh, they're not conventional and it's a, it's a different way because everybody's taught a certain way to do structure protection. And uh, I think our mindset was more along the lines of we got to do fuel reduction and uh, that became a really big thing. You know, we took a lot of pictures, a lot of videos of this for training purposes. And, you know, they can be a benefit. And, and there was some where, where we were able to save and not 
do that. And I remember we were working with, I think it was, I can't remember where the crew was out of. It was an, it was another department from Alberta. And I remember the guy saying, why are we, what, you know, why are we even bothering with this duplex? And I remember turning around and saying to him very clearly that, uh, if two families get to come back to this place, that's a huge win for us. And, um, you know, some of our other unconventional stuff is, you know, we're running low on water, whatever. We started burying stuff that was burning. We literally set up a landfill in Fort McMurray and we buried it and there's dozers and there's, you know, and use what you got eh, if you don't have water. I mean, uh, they, they kept the water flowing a lot better cause it had some time to prepare and, but, uh, still there's never enough, right? This, Especially how that city's built on the valley and no, you know, I, up on the hills and it's bad. Yeah. And then different stuff for education wise, you know, like if the dozers weren't working, what could we use them for? Well, let's use those to push the garages in. So the excavator gets more reach, right? So that dozer blade is going to take a propane bottle or acetylene bottles or oxygen bottles, or, you know, guys are working in the patch with downhole explosives on the back of their truck. And I remember on the one street, the, the dozer guy got there early and, uh, he said, okay, what do you want me to do? And I'm there by myself. DC's driving around because the way their subdivisions were, there's only one road in. And then he got hundreds of houses and it was a, take every vehicle on the street and go push them in those burning basements. Get rid of you know, and then the look on this guy's eye, yeah, right? Course, like yeah. we got Mercedes, we got brand new <laughs> one ton trucks. And, you know, so we're, you know, it's, but at the end, you know, that, that probably saved some lives that night. And, um, you know, and then from there we started pushing in garages, you know, you get a, you get a two-story duplex, 35 feet at the peak was the thought process, you know, as all this chaos going on, yeah, everything's yeah. burning and blowing up around There's you. There's firefighter math coming at you folks. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, you, you got a couple big dozers though, and they start plowing garages that gives you 26 extra feet of leverage for those excavators. And, um, you know, we were able to get it, get it down where when you are eliminating, I think we got it down to 10, 10, 12 minutes a unit. And, uh, but it's, it's it saved, you know, and then I think that's the biggest thing that needs to be reiterated just behind there was a massive condo complex. There was a giant commercial complex and it saved it from getting into, what was the next community over there in the giant forested area? I don't remember. All we were in Timberlay at that point. Yeah. I believe so it was. across that road there. Yeah. And that, uh, it saved it from getting across there and, uh, it's. It's, uh, yeah, later looking at the overheads, like you say, you could totally see what happened there, right? I don't think anyone kind of can get over the thought of it unless you're a firefighter and you've been through this a few times like we have. But at the end of the day, it's good for everyone else out there to hear, hey, you know, there, there's lots of fires. You can even, you know, micro it a bit and say at the same time you guys were doing that up there the next day lakeside motor Inn went up here in town and was, so we actually called in an excavator and hammered it all down. And when we were all done, I kind of looked at the boys and went, Oh, we might've just Fort Mac that a little too fast there, fellas, but it turned this huge fire in the center of our town, threatening all of these big buildings into nothing in about 45 minutes. Well, I was going to bring that up because <laughs> we were in Fort Mac, you guys had just got back and then this huge motel goes up that's old. And I remember my wife texted me and she's like, oh my God, what do we do? Right. There's still the fear from 2011. Yeah. The stuff's very real and everybody still feels this today when you smell smoke or whatever. And my wife texted and she's like, oh my God, like it's really windy here. And now there's a fire right in the middle of town. And what do we do? And I said, don't worry about it. They'll probably bring an excavator there. And then all of a sudden, you know, an hour later, I'm getting pictures and <laughs> it's all you know, sure <laughs> enough, there it was. Right. And it was just the mindset at the time. And I think it was, uh, and it worked yeah, right because it was really hot here. It was really dry and our, we had a lot of resources out. Cause I think we had crews in high level too then, didn't we? Yeah, we did. So, you know, we were spread thin and, you know, guys up looking after high level guys in Fort Mac, thinner crew and slave. And well, even that day, I think we had guys all the way from Flatbush in helping us, right? Yeah. Kilometers away. 
but uh, yeah, just leaner, meaner, faster, fitter, whatever you got to do, right? Figure it out. So yeah, Fort Mac was another chaotic one, but so we'll go from that. I, I want to talk about the humble bus crash, right? This one is uh, be tougher on both of us to talk about this, but uh, you know, that started for me. I'm just sitting at home with my kid, you know, doing my thing. And uh, you started texting me and phoning me and saying, Hey, did you hear about this? bus crash and i said i don't know what you're talking about ronnie and and so it's uh your cousin was in the bus and and your other cousins were phoning you asking you about it and so we tried to get some information and figure it out not to get too emotional and talk about it but obviously mm -hmm. connor lucan is uh, a, a big part of this community and was lost that day on that bus and and uh, his folks are still here and your last name lines right up there so uh yeah. you know family first so the part of that story, I want to tell that part to get to the part where I phoned you up one day. And this is typical of you and I to have these conversations. And I said, I got this idea, Ronnie. <laughs> yeah. We're going to build this outdoor fitness park. And uh, I want to call it the Connor Lucan Memorial Fitness Park. And uh, you, I think you dropped what you were doing. You were at the fire hall parking lot in like five seconds. And we sat in your truck for I don't know how long talking about what it could be and how it could be and and all of that. And uh I'll put some pictures of it so everyone can see, but so, so that's something that another thing that we drug each other into and, yeah. <laughs> and drug along. But, uh, so talk a little bit about the fitness park and what that means. Oh, I, I think it's huge, you know, like, uh, you know, it, it kind of, it, it epitomizes what Connor was, right? So, uh, he's just a good kid living his dream, worked his tail off, unfortunate incidents and, uh, yeah, the park is there and that'll be a staple for the community for a long time, but it also keeps him alive and all of us. And uh, I think that'll always be a huge thing. And it was, you know, when you and I, when you, when you first kind of pitched the idea, right. Cause you were saying, you know, like how should, well, what's your thoughts first, right. Yeah. In, a, in a, in a very, in a very respectful manner. And you're right. These are the chats that, that you and I have. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, you, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing, but it's really cool to see, to see that, I guess, celebration of him. And it's a picture of him celebrating and uh, how a community can come together. And I think the government put in some and, and the way all the other companies came together to be able to do that as well. And it's nice that that can be there to honor him. It's kind of those small town projects, eh? That, you know, it the is. fire department gets together with a bunch of people and then you bring the family together and the companies together. And we all kind of get together and do this, this massive park fitness park and uh i mean there's so many highs and lows in that tr trying to get it finished on time i don't know if you remember how close oh, we there's tarp, to the tarped and heated <laughs> in the cold weather to try to for the guys to lay the rubber matting there yeah and then all the firefighters came from over in that neck of the woods for the cvfsa conference and we're yeah literally trying to keep some diesel in the heater so they can finish the matting and but uh you know i think it worked out good i think it's a nice memorial uh to remember connor and to uh you know, it's, I like that it's at the fire hall and, and people can know when they're at the fire hall that everybody was part of it and all the signage and stuff that goes with it. But really that part to me was, I think that was the last big project you and I worked on together when I worked in Slave Lake, but th there was so many. I mean, I can remember calling you saying, hey, Ronnie, I got to put in this electrical cable. And you're like, oh, I'll just drop off a mini hoe and, and uh, like you give me like the two second, this is how you turn it on <laughs> and just make sure you don't go in a crooked line because you will. And and then you left and there I am eight hours later. Of course, I made the most crooked line you could ever put in. <laughs> yeah, 
but again, it's that teamwork, right? <laughs> you know, I, I remember also coming back to get that mini excavator and it looked like it just came off the lot because the respect was there where, you know, you drop off a piece of equipment and you come back and it's just shiny and new and, you know, like it didn't look like that in a couple of years time, right? So we, we didn't tell you it took eight of us to find all the grease nipples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. But, you know, you contribute and then that was all part of the training center as well, right? So... You know, everybody pitches in and many hands will always make light work for all of us. So it was great. It is crazy how it goes, right? I know if they phone right now, you and I would drop everything and go help them with yeah, anything absolutely. that's going on. Yeah, it's just a brotherhood that'll always exist. Yeah, never never stops. All right, so right, one last question for you. Yeah. What do you miss the most about firefighting? I forgot a little bit of ADD, which can come in handy during these kinds of times. Uh, the biggest thing is just the camaraderie, I think, the relationships you build, everything else, and, and, and being able to make a difference. You know, it's a great way to give back to your community. And it's uh, if if I was a politician one day, I think one of the things I'd actually probably make it mandatory is that everybody serves their first year out of high school in a, in a fire service or a junior program. And uh, to see all the young guys that have come up over the number of years, you know, like I say, I got in a little bit later, right? I was 30 years old, but um, it, it's just, you're surrounding yourself with good people. And it's uh, just to see those guys be able to grow and blossom and, uh, you know, to be a part of that and be able to help and mentor, I think is really, really good. And it's uh, sometimes you see stuff that you can't unsee. And uh, those are the, those are the challenges. But, as, you know, there, there's also the support there as well is uh, what I found through my time there. So it was, uh, yeah, I, th I think the camaraderie, the training, the hard work, the, the selflessness uh, was another big one as well. And it's just... Uh, you know, to, to see where it is today from where it was, you know, when I was fully involved, right. It's a, it's something that I want to go back to eventually as my life frees up a little bit of time, but one day you and me brother in Grenada on yeah. the fire truck. Yeah, exactly. Like we'll 65 be, years old. Yeah. Two old volunteer firefighters <laughs> probably hanging off the back of the truck that we donated <laughs> in 2012. Exactly. Awesome. All right, buddy. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, thanks for your time. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been a while here. We've been talking about it for a couple of months. Oh, but, yeah. No, yeah. it's good. That's how it goes. So this one's number 12, I guess. So that's that's it. uh, It's got a lot of meaning. <laughs> that to me goes as well, right so. back. Yeah. So for everyone, that's Connor's number. And so when I got to number 12, I got a hold of Ronnie right away and said, okay, your procrastinating is done. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're get... at your number. We're, we're at your spot. And it's all those little ways we keep them with us i guess all the time right for sure yeah all right growing up fire episode 12 ronnie lucan thanks buddy yeah thanks for having me on the show thanks for listening to growing up fire today follow me on instagram at chief coots to comment or send questions we appreciate your support